the clang of hammers, the crumbling of stone, and the taste of a sweet and hearty ale. Today we dive into dungeons deep and caverns old with the Dwarven Pantheon, the Morden Salon, on today's episode of Dungeons and Brews. Welcome back to Dungeons and Brews, everybody. We decided that there would be another special episode since we did have an equal amount of votes for the Dwarven Pantheon in our little poll. We figured, why not go ahead and dive deep into what makes dwarves dwarves, especially considering that our created campaign revolved very heavily around dwarven practices and deities. I'm excited for it. Dwarven, like, I mean, come on, that opening line was fantastic, right? It, it was beautiful, Dungeons but Mo, it is great be... to see you again. It's been a few weeks, really, That's since we've seen us. each other. It's been yep. a busy time. Um, what have you been up to in the Dungeons & Dragons world on your end? Uh, I threw a young red dragon at my players, so that was fun. How many died? Uh, none, because... Oh. Uh, Good I, job, players. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was angry. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I should have given the creature legendary resistances or legendary actions that I did at regular... Young red dragons, they don't have any. Personally, I think they could have fought an adult, but they're only level eight so, or level seven at the time. So maybe not. <laughs> yeah, an adult's kind of pushing it. it well, I guess there's a no, no, no. magical resistance, though, right? Mm -hmm. There's some stuff I could have added, like a magic resistance or mm -hmm. uh, even as something as simple as the, uh, what is it called again? The uh, resistant bludgeoning, piercing, slashing, slashing yeah, something like, damage, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. It, it's always tough to throw the young, like the younger dragons because the breath weapon can be, if they all fail to save, pretty yep. insta-killy, especially at those early levels. You know, I'm amazed that they don't have legendary actions, young mm -hmm. red dragons. Like something as simple as like a tail swipe even. Like it would just, that'd be fantastic. I guess it's like for me that the reason that I don't think they have on the young red dragons is that it's not really quite a legend yet. Like you don't tell tale about the time you killed the dragon that was 10 feet long. You tell a tale about the time you killed the dragon that was 40 feet long. Yeah. So I think some of that might go into like kind of a colloquial mythos within d, &D itself, but we're getting off topic. We have a brew to review prior to getting into the dwarves. We do, yes. We are going to be diving into the dwarves here today, but today, Brewmaster Austin, today you have grabbed us a fantastic cider, a farmhouse cider. Uh, it's a farmhouse cider company. I believe it's, it is. It's called Daily Dry, the world's driest. And who knows more about, you know, dry earth than the dwarves. So, so I figured it was very topical. Yeah. This little, right. looks like it'll be fun and tasty. So. A little ceremonial crack. Oh, uh, before, uh, just so you know, it's made with 100% Michigan apples. Mm, did not know that, actually. No, neither did I Context. until I read Context. the label. <laughs> Ready? Three, two, one. I want you, want it to be known, I do not trust ciders anymore since the high ace, okay? <laughs> Oh, I had the exact same thought. The yes. exact same and thought. I still got it into my eye. Fantastic, Mo. Well, it is good, though. It is fantastic. It it, is they did dry. not lie. Yeah, they did not lie. It, it is dry. dry. If so, if you don't like dry ciders, not for you, definitely. This is definitely going to be a hit or miss with people. Yep. But I really like it. I think that one of these with like over the, you know, like chilling, watching TV, fine. But like, I probably wouldn't drink a six pack. Of chilling it. out, maxing, relaxing, all cool. Shooting some b-ball or shooting some. 
I've got nothing. Yeah, you, you, I was waiting because I didn't want to like. I was gonna make it dirty. We're gonna say we are gonna save Mo from himself and get into the Morden song. So, so this is something you have one hundred percent knowledge about, and you did a lot of a great uh, research, which means everybody, that's right. DM one page coming yeah. out with this one here, and so back to an actual one page. I know the the Elven Pantheon was too because you were screwed, my yeah, it, it was really the Celadrine. You were yeah, fucked. and <laughs> you know. The thing with the the Celadrin, you know, the Celadrin, um, is there's just so many gods and there's so much lore. And then when I got into diving, so this is just a little behind the scenes diving into the dwarven pantheon, this Morden Zaman, there's just not as much lore on it. Like, I mean, if you go to the 5e wiki um, for the Elven pantheon, it's pages of material, whereas like, you can read everything there is to read on the Morden Salon in like a couple of minutes. Oh, like, yeah. And you and you can remember it and it's fair like they don't really go too much into it. There isn't quite the same like creation mythos, but we'll get into that. So the Morden Summon is the dwarven deities residing on Dwarfholm. So Dwarfholm is a lawful good um aligned dominion. So you can see how already differing from the elves, they're not chaotic good, they're lawful. There's a regiment to what how they do things. Um, there we go. Mount Celestia is yeah. where they're located as well. Yeah, oh, fourth layer buddy. of Mount Celestia called Solania. Um, it's basically a vast underground mansion that Moradin has constructed that is this realm um, with soul forges and dwarven people and all, and all kinds of materials. So we're going to get into what the soul forges are later, but from my best understanding is that there is a soul forge like overarching soul forge and then there are individual soul forges so it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting uh, yeah little back and forth it's actually also a spell in prior editions of D. &D. what is it called uh, what? uh soul forge soul like it's actually oh, I think a spell. Heard of it. yeah yeah uh which when cast on a creature allows the creature to be immune to fear fear-based effects and can only be t cast on lawful good creatures. Yeah, wow. So that's actually really cool. It's a cool spell. It's a niche spell. Obviously, you know. What is it like? Three point five or something? Yeah, it was a three point five. Yeah, uh, everything good always comes out of three. Yeah, it was a three point five, yeah. which is very cool to have an idea. Um, because the last part of it that I didn't read in there is that it would always work on dwarves, even if they weren't lawful good. So to have a spell that is both alignment or race based is kind of interesting because there's not really anything in. D and D five E like that. Yeah. Uh, since they removed the requirement on blade singers, but I digress. We're getting off track. I feel like you get so angry about that. <laughs> yeah, I I do, and I don't because like I think it's cool role play wise, but it's like if you're gonna make it this like ancient art, like at least give me some way to make it work. Ancient the secret art, right? Yeah. But you make yeah. give me a way, like. And who because you, you already told me that I can't send humans to the Celadrin's like actual plane because they'll go insane. Mm -hmm. So like. Oh, where? How are they supposed to have learned this? Like, are they just Aragorn and they happen to be in good with Big Daddy Elrond? Like, I, Big Daddy Elrond. I mean, he's Big Daddy. Elrond. <laughs> he really is that Big Daddy. Like, Elrond. He, every, every like, look, there is, and this is the only hot take I really have about Lord of the Rings. Elrond is the Deus Ex Machina of the Lord of the Rings universe. Every time there is a a problem that needs some solution and no one knows the answer to, it's always Elrond. Really? It's always Elrond. Uh, and I'm like, I and I. I, I know I'm gonna I'm upsetting a lot of fan bases out there, but <laughs> you I'm saying be careful. I'm saying there sometimes it's a little too convenient. Oh. Anyway, yeah. back to Moradin. Yeah. So Moradin, it's very interesting. So you're like, all right, you automatically have dwarf in your head, right? Well, Moradin is 20 feet tall. 
a dwarf still. The dwarf. He is still built like a dwarf with the beard and the stockiness. Coming down. So yeah. I want you to picture what a 20-foot tall dwarf, if like a 5-foot dwarf is almost 300 pounds. Like this yeah. is a big guy. Um, he's, I mean, that's it's what the the pan the Morden Saman yeah. Morden. It, it is, it's it is, literally yeah. in the title yeah. as well. So this yeah, is there this is, is no is a, not with like daddy of dwarves. Yeah, with the elves you kind of had that like oh Saladrin. It's like oh it's a part of our our ethos, you know, sort of uh. thing. But Morden's like no, I created this. Yeah. I, I he the mythos is not confusing at all. That. Moradin created the dwarves. He looks after dwarves. He created Dwarf Home. It's said that he himself was just kind of like forged together by like rock and stone, essentially. Um, so he is this very interesting sort of counter to Corellian, who, you know, you had this far more laissez faire in the mythos that I prefer. He's a little bit kind of indifferent to elves. To elves, he doesn't himself, care, yeah. Other than them giving up their immutable forms. Yeah. Like, it, he seems very disinterested with it where Moradin takes a particular interest in maybe not directly appearing to his, you know, children, the dwarves, but sponsoring them in, in, in ways. Um, so that's the first kind of fact about Moradin is that he's obviously the leader of it. He does not like to appear as himself. So he uses a lot of proxies and avatars and things like that. So there are very few mortals that have ever seen the actual true form of Moradin. It's always through some sort of other proxy. Avatar and things like that. <laughs> exactly. It's just how a lot of the gods communicated. I mean, they'll come to you in dreams. They'll talk to you here. They'll mm -hmm. show you, oh, yes, we speak to you because we're high as shit on Mount Celestia. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's very it's very interesting because Moradin and the Morden Saman share a lot of the same alliances that uh, Corellian does like they're friends with the halflings, they're friends with the elves, they're friends with the gnomes. But there are also some other gods that Moradin himself has forged relationships with, uh, like Gond, Koseth, Helm, Torm, Tyr. So these are all big um, gods in the Faerunian pantheon. So Gond is the Lord of Smiths in the Faerunian pantheon. So obviously, you know, makes sense. Um, the god of elemental fire, Lord and Lord of Flames, is Kosuth. So again, you know, makes sense why Moradin is like, I want to be friends with you. Uh, Helm is the one of like guardians and protectors. Again, that sort of stalwart, unbreakable determination. Again, a very dwarven quality. Uh, you know, like Torm um, is another one of like loyalty, righteousness, duty. Like all of these big um, gods that Moradin forged relationships with all relate to aspirational qualities of what the dwarves try to personify in his mind. Whereas when you kind of looked at Corellian's random ones, it's like magic, but nothing specific. It's more of a pursuit of a, um, like an area. It's like, I'm pursuing magic for magic. Whereas like Moradin's relationships outside of the big, like, halfling pantheons and stuff are like i'm showing the dwarves what qualities i want in he, people close to me he cares for his creation exactly and unlike he's leading by example and he's leading by example yeah he's like unlike hey. Coralian, in both the mythos that mm -hmm. you found right remember we talked about uh, you know pre uh 5e or pre uh favorite right. or in both those settings or specifically when it came to mordekainen's uh tomb of uh, uh mordekainen stuff but he he didn't care. He's like, I don't care for these creatures. Like, I, I like they're 
they have immutable forms or things like that. They they can change and do all this stuff. Morden didn't care. He's known as the dwarf father. He's known as the creator. He's known as the all father, you know? Right. He has How that many very Odin aspect. Very much so. And what's the line that every dwarf ever says? By Moradin's hammer. By Moradin's hammer. By Moradin's hammer. Well, and it's an interesting that you bring that up. So this is one of my other little fun facts that's included on the uh, DM1 pager, is that the hammers of Moradin are actually an elite military order that is dominant it's like kind of crusaders fighting clerics um and they're all throughout dwarven strongholds um and they come from all kinds of different dwarven clans and things and from what i've found about them so far they're kind of individually little small units and they pretty much are we try to do moradin right by the dwarves we yeah. don't we're not really antagonistic to other you know persons um, or anything like that, but they are first and foremost like defenders of the dwarves. Are they basically assigned in like every like? I'm, so I'm again, I'm reading off your one page uh, here, mm -hmm. but are they? You said it, they're in every dwarven clan. Uh, as yeah, they're like basically in every everywhere there would be a stronghold, like a massive stronghold. There would be at least some small section of this. There is a central authority of it. It's like I, I forget what it was called. It's like the Council of Elders or something. You know, something very stereotypical yeah. um, for it, but. A council the, of seven. Right, something like that. Uh. <laughs> but for the most part, from what I found, that council only intervenes in the day-to-day -day operation if there is a large threat that requires such a centralization of like clerics and fighting paladins and things like that. Whatever they may need, yeah. yeah. So uh, let's 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 go into this a little bit deeper. So he he created the dwarves. He he broke down the dwarves, gave them the qualities to follow. What is he known primarily then only for the forges and things like that? Or is he more like, can he be like vengeful, wrathful? Does he show qualities maybe encompassing more something of, you know, grace and leniency? So, you know, like every deity has their, like their, you know, yeah, no, I, I almost he, call them, I almost call them the conundrums, right? They're, they're hypocritical in some aspects, but I, yeah, his main thing above, above anything, like as a interacting with other deities is he is a quality earns respect kind of person yeah so you don't necessarily need to be good for him to like you but you need to be skilled or an expert at what you do so you while he may not be the god of like laughter and jokes he would probably respect an expert comedian like somebody who had perfected their craft yeah because that's ultimately his like most important quality is like that's what he imbues to the elves it's like or Oh, sorry, the dwarves is this idea of like, I need to build, create, innovate, these sorts of things. However, it's been said from some of the like Dragon Magazine and the older lore and things that he's actually quite intelligent and quite cunning. But for the most part, he plays dumb and like kind of lures enemies closer with like that idea that. Ah, uh, you know, like I'm not gonna look into anything further into this because I only care about the word of a man, you know, What's or that, whatever, yeah. like something like that. So, question for you: Do you know if the Duragar worship Morden as well? So they don't, and do it's kind of a it's kind of a yes no. So they do have two um, deities for the Drugar uh, okay. that I included at the very bottom of the side on the one page. So there, when people look at this one page, there'll be two asterisks next to. Uh, Ladgur and Deep Duria. So these were originally dwarves on 
dwarven deities on the Morden Zaman. They're still considered a part of it. There's not like the dark Morden Zaman at, like there is for the counterpart of the elves because yeah. obviously, you know, Cor- Corellian's personality lends itself to making people pissed off. Yeah, it's uh, not just, it's everything, yeah. everything's Whereas, like if you're side, just, yeah. if you're always the same, like yeah. Morden is like, it, can you produce good quality stuff? Are you an expert? Cool. Then you have my respect. Yeah. Then, like yeah, yeah, I may probably, not yeah. like you, but yeah. I will respect you. So you you can automatically see how, even with the lore, they're already kind of showing like, hey, Moradin made less enemies because he followed a code. Yeah. And that's the Karen. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And he 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 gave he gave he actually gave himself into those sorts of like situations. But yeah, so those two are like the known Drugar uh, deities. Like one of them is God of Weapons, Crafting, and Magic. Um, another is a goddess of conquest, expansion, and psionics. So you can kind of see how both of those adhere to the Drugar psychology, right? Like they have, like some of them are known to have that psionic ability from living in the Underdark. Like they're trying to conquer and return to, you know, the actual top side, like yeah. above, you know, above the Underdark. Uh, you know, they obviously weapons and magic, like inherently all Drugar know how to like cast enlarge on themselves they do yeah so yeah. there you can see i've always how... been obsessed with Duragar. i always find them to be a fascinating yeah. race and those of you guys that, that don't know i mean the best way to break down i yeah the Duragar, just think dwarves underground but i mean way, way underground. underground we're talking like purple skin and like very much more similar corrupted to the, by the depths corrected by the yes correct yeah yeah so though those are kind of the only ones that i found in my i didn't do too much research on looking for uh, Drugar, um, you know, deities, but for the most part, those seem to be the two, but they're still considered a part of the Morden Saman. I didn't find a reason why they were specifically exiled um, for it. Again, it seems like it's kind of wishy washy. Wishy washy on like yeah. what and why. And maybe, you know, Wizards is just now starting to release some more stuff on dwarves because they're getting some interest and that we're uh, always and interest. Right. And there's a lot of stuff recently coming out, yeah, especially that will help with that. Yeah. So maybe there will be some more information coming down the pipe from them. Um, I would like to see it fleshed out a little bit more. Um, but uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, because this is something that's going to affect our campaign is that Morden is worshipped at forges and hearths. So metal uh, and melted metals are sacrificed to him. So I know in the original, I believe our episode eight, where we did our last world creation. Yeah. We had a moment where we talked about temples. We're like temples, holy places. So clearly maybe we need to reevaluate how the temple situation look and that a temple would be more akin to a practical crafting area and less of a holy requily kind of place. Yeah, it's not it's not like a place where people go necessarily to worship in like vestments or something. Or maybe it's like a it maybe it is set up in a very like holy type of atmosphere, but there are several forges there, right? And then at, at each one you have like a you know a high a high smith. Right. God, well, that's I, a good idea. I'm writing I mean, this down. It, well <laughs> it, it's funny that you mentioned that because I don't think you saw the next paragraph that says the high forge smith oh okay yeah <laughs> which is amazing that you didn't see that and you had the Guys, same idea so i know dandy yeah so the high forge, i also know fantasy tropes so <laughs> the high forge smith is somebody that is considered like the high priest of whatever particular order you know a regional order or whatever um but they can call a uh, a holy day um doing so for like local events often um and this is when um, what I was kind of telling you about off mic 
they do this sort of uh, melting festival or melting ritual where people will bring metals, melt them down, and then stick their hands into like glowing metal or like grab a glowing bar. And basically, the idea is, is that if you're if Moradin is approving of whatever you are like thinking about or driving towards, whatever your passion is, whatever your goal is, then you will not be harmed by uh, the metal by the heat. Nice. That's so cool, right? It's so like cool. honestly, I like it. I'm just like I'm on the D and D wiki right now as we speak, and I'm just he's got favorite monsters, right? Like he's got he likes uh, gold dragons, he likes guardian nagas, he enjoys uh uh holy fonts, uh he enjoys silver dragons, sapphire dragons. Which by the way, I don't think sapphire dragons get the proper recognition they They're deserve for being badasses. But he's even got favorite colors. Telling you that you're not going to be surprised by the first two for Morden, yeah. Electrum and Silver. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and, he's, and so he's very much a flush deity. Like he's got to be one of the most flush deities out there. Oh like, no, they they make very specific mention uh, in the little bit that is on Dwarf Home. It is a massive economic boon. Yeah, it is a massive, uh, like trading, crafting, gems, like all that kind of stuff. So you can automatically see how this ritual that we're talking about people would be more inclined to try to melt more expensive things. But then you could also see like maybe a dwarf doesn't have the money to melt down a bunch of gold and stick his arm in, but he does have iron. But Morden's like, I, I have a purpose for you. And now his hand comes out coated in iron and he's now, you know, iron arm. And you're like, Ooh, what was this guy's purpose that Morden blessed him, even though it's not one of his favorite metals, it's not one of his favorite colors. Not how, Dwarves get their names. I don't think so. No, is it just or is it just kind of like it is what it is? I think it's like a yeah, it's a very clan based sort of thing. I'm not really sure. Iron armor just sounds like the last name of a dwarf. But I think that is something that would be really cool to to incorporate in your game. Is that make this ritual something that like those who are successful? Because obviously you can't let every dwarf do it because then there'd be a bunch of dwarves that are running around with like burnt off arms. But like as a but you know like maybe as a rite of passage into our crafters guild for the smiths like you have to do this and if you lose the arm you're like okay you're kind of already relegated to basically doing basic stuff you ever seen the movie uh the golden circle yeah yeah remember where she uh car the what's her name poppy carves the the symbol into them i'm thinking very something similar to that right yeah something like that where like you know they stick their hand into whatever metal they brought and if and if they come out with this like you know coded arm that's not that's functioning and not destroyed they're like okay you are allowed to pursue whatever it is you pursue. Like we will sign off on it, blah, blah, blah. But if you fail, you're going to be relegated to like making horseshoes or something. You said it, you said it very clearly here that Morden prevents harm to the truly faithful. That's yeah. kind of the whole thing. Yeah. And like, he's, he's very much involved within those, uh, the dwarves. Now, when it comes to their creation, uh, Brewmaster Austin, did they, uh, how, how were they created? How did the dwarves get their, so their sense of there purpose? There is a yeah. soul forge in Dwarf Home. I'm sorry. And yes, Moradin forged the dwarves. And he calls it the Soul Forge? The Soul Forge. So from... Okay. I didn't... Little on the nose I there. <laughs> fi- I couldn't access all the books that I found. Some of this, like, you know, obviously the internet are like, oh, here's a little quip, but you need to read whatever book. I'm like, I don't have the time to go find the book, track it down from 30 years ago and read it. But the quick TLDR is that the Soul Forge is the birthplace of the dwarves. It's maintained at Dwarf Home. And it is a block of solid mithril next to a wall of ice and a pool of soul fire. There are insane amount of tools. It's attended by uh, 
Moradin and other dwarves like petitioners. So like we know how we were mentioning the elven petitioners fight to protect. Yeah. Well, dwarven petitioners maintain the soul forge. That is their e equivalent thing. Because That's the purpose of it. Yeah. Moradin basically maintains the souls of all dwarves and like the and like heats the passion of dwarves. That's why they're kind of known to be fiery, hot fiery because yeah. he is constantly keeping the forges ablaze of their soul. And that is where new dwarven souls would be forged if Moradin so chose. And I'm telling you, because of that, your strategy of giving them nothing but a, you know, a deep squash accent isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be like, you cannot have a calm, collected dwarf in the accent that you uh, <laughs> demonstrated. I think at the end of the uh, And are you telling seven, me, are you telling me that I can't do a fucking English accent and make it angry? Are you telling me that? Are you taking a piss? <laughs> I hate you. I hate you and, and your voice acting history. Yeah, yeah. But no, so a bit, basically, if you remember before we move on from the Soul Forge, because I, I think it's a really, really cool thing. It is. It's a, it's a it very show, cool again, concept. It shows the difference between them and elves because, as we mentioned, elven souls have kind of always exist and they reincarnate sort of thing. So mm -hmm. that's why the destruction of an elven soul would very much hurt Corellian because it's one less person and he would have to then take it upon himself to make another one, which yeah. he's not going to do. No, no, he doesn't um, give a shit. Yeah, he doesn't give a shit. Whereas Moradin is like, oh, there's a new dwarf being born. I am now creating them their own individual soul. So there's less focus on reincarnation and more focus on the individual. And again, taking from that very Nordic tradition with Odin and, you know, I assume being in Valhalla, it's kind of that same thing where it's like, you are your own, your achievements are your own. Why would I lessen them yeah by you don't reincarnating. need me. yeah you don't need to be what right. you did matters like, if your you purpose did what matters. you were supposed yeah. to do your purpose was achieved yeah uh this is probably also where i would say maybe more than probably still crafts mm -hmm. his creation i mean outside yeah, for each new for each new dwarf from what i can tell so when they have a new dwarven child is born it's a new soul it's but not no, no. What I mean is, instead of uh, not saying just a crafting, like you know, you know, you know, life, but I'm saying like maybe a, a hammer or oh, no, a, yeah. a, a tool, a, 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 no, yeah, you know, weapons, whatever it may, armor. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Godly it's armor. That, like pretty much all the gods in Dwarfholm do some, like even if they're not crafters technically in the like I build necklaces, they do some sort of crafting or production or something, whether it's with crops, whatever it is, they do something because it is a trading port within the celestial realms. Like it is kind of a big place for people to buy, you know, these expertly crafted gems and things like that. All things that celestials and, you know, you know, platinum dragons and things like that yeah. want, you know, these very expertly crafted things. So, and who better to be blessed with being crafted by than the God of all crafters. Yeah. Like if you could have, if you had the pool and the money or whatever to get more to do it, like. And he's he worshipped, as, 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 again, like I know, like I, obviously the dwarves worship him, but he's worshipped by, if you're, if you're, if you've got a hammer in your hand, you're a blacksmith, you're an armorer, holy crap. You at least have some reverence yeah. from him, yeah. which is, again, when I mentioned all those allies that he had, you noticed a lot of them were smiths yeah. or forger crafting or people that would be adjacent to maybe a smith. So there is always, I think, a respect for Moradin. It may not be a worship for like, you know, humans or elves or, you know, gnomes or orcs or whoever, but um, it might be a healthy, like, we understand that 
this guy is kind of the expert on it. So it, it might just be more of an awareness rather than a worship. But for sure, dwarves and probably the more aligned races with the dwarves would at least have a reverence to it. Yeah, they would at least understand. Uh, when it comes to uh, where they, like all the items and things like that, do they do they take it somewhere? Do they like push it to a place? Do, I mean, like, so like, like if, crafting? Like... Yeah, from what I can tell, Dwarf Home itself has portals to like all the places that okay. Moradin it wants to be connected to, essentially. So there would be an easy way to trade it right there. There's also the Rift, which is a welcoming city. It's out. Um, it's built right at the edge of the narrow crevasse that kind of leads into where Dwarf Home, like the actual mansion that I mentioned. It has a name. I forgot what it's called, but um, it, it it has a name for it. But this massive mansion that Morden made. It's, I can tell. I can tell. It won't bother you at all. Yeah, it's going to eat me a lot. Yeah, it's going to eat me a but it's it has a bunch of shops that sell all of this exquisite dwarven work as well as items that were favored by archons. So we've mentioned archons a couple of times, but basically extremely powerful celestial forces come here just because they have the resources, the crafting material, whatever it is, in perfect form. So like you know how they always say you can never get a pure gold bar? They would have pure gold bars. Because that's how because yeah. that's how exquisite it is. Yeah. Like they this would be it. they would be the place to have. It. Yeah. Basically if you want a legendary weapon, you should be going here. Right. Yeah. yeah they throw them out like trash. That's yeah. so cool. I honestly God, I think uh and I I brought it up before and I I've literally led with this line as well, but uh uh in the Drizdorian books, one of the uh, the adventurers his uh he when he crafts he you know he says by the blessing of Morden right he crafts he creates and yep. he had this great hammer that he crafted one of the heroes in the story so it's just it's really cool to see that kind of where it draw drew the inspiration from mm -hmm. like and Morden's been around for the whole time basically no 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 yeah. I meant like for D and D uh, worlds like I mean since one point right? oh yeah he's been since yeah there's adventure of him yeah there was a mention of him from what I found at least in advanced D and D. Yeah. So yeah. at least in AD&D onward, he's been in every edition. So he's been kind of one of the forefronts. And like you said earlier, I mean, that's really the cool thing about Moradin himself is that if you are in the space, you have some sort of reverence for him typically um, for the more quote unquote good aligned races. Um, so it is things like, you know, an elf like Dritz would have that, you know, like a halfling gym crafter or something like that would probably have that also. Um, you know, so human, you know, human smiths or something would also probably have that same sort of reverence. Like, you know, I may not worship you. I may not go stick my hand in a you know, metal pot, but... Thank you for clarifying the rest of that sentence. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I was worried there for a Yeah, second. you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there is also another very interesting point, a notable location in dwarf home that's called stonefall so basically what the best information i have on stonefall is that it while it is a city it's more of like one massive historical narrated tour of the history of the dwarves so any like significant figure or event would be carved into stone statues or uh you know mantles or murals you know, mosaics whatever it would be crafted into stone to show the important dates, the important persons, reverend ones, maybe ones that were cast out. So you can see how this itself would very easily lend itself to a plot hook kind of akin to Harry Potter. Yeah. There was a prophecy carved in the stone by a great 
dwarven stone oracle long ago. Someone got invited, broke it, stole off with it, and Moradin has offered a king's ransom for the return of it. And you, forget about it. And yeah. so that way you can kind of do the whole like, uh, maybe I was, maybe we're a band of dwarven mercenaries or something we didn't really care, but king's ransom, we're interested in that. And now you have very easy plot hook with like Moradin again showing he doesn't care necessarily that you're good or that your intentions are good, but if you can produce results. And then kind of showing that there's that dual side of like he is lawful good, but also in almost a laissez-faire kind of way. Yeah, he's lawful good in the same way that like that he's just yeah. No, I get what you mean. Yeah. Um, outside of what would you say is when it comes down to the more like again they've been around forever, right? They've been around since the original D and D concept. Would you say that he has evolved through that time? Or would you say that? Most of the time, dwarves worship him because this is what he is. I know that in the uh, time of troubles, I believe that was in the Faerun setting. Uh, there, time of troubles. There was he affected by that? Do yeah. You know? So he yeah. was. Um, for, to answer your for the first part of your question, he's kind of always been in the same iteration. It's not like Corellian that kind of has a bounced change. bounced a little bit, yeah. or like even the Raven well, Queen that kind of bounced or every, every god, or, every every god's yeah. god. Yeah, he's been fairly stable in like the idea of him. I think they've added a few things to his specific uh domain over the years but the way they've kind of fleshed him out more was by adding more of the morden summon so adding people like you know uh charlindar the goddess of fertility who we talked about uh Kledang silverbeard's got a battle valor like people like that to kind of show these other sides of it uh, other sides of like dwarves oh well, he's also there is a matriarch as well i see here yes baronor yes. true silver yep she's got she's hearth and home um and matriarch so she would also be very heavily um you know worship she's the dwarven mommy she jesus no no we're not Ooh. they're british we're making them british um what happens if one of them have have a, it's a deep like, uh, maybe i'll make one one yeah well, but i'll never tell you i'll one. never be my people yeah you have to find them you have to find <laughs> which one it is um but yeah he he hasn't really changed he, I, I mean, that's pretty much the short answer is that he's kind of been the same in that and they just used the pantheon to develop dwarves themselves more but more in himself has been fairly anchored which is probably why there's less on him he's and he's why well, he's angered less people i mean he still obviously has his gripe with the orcs same as like pretty much every good aligned uh deity but they were affected by the spell plague second sundering spell plague, yeah yeah yeah. That, that, stuff. yeah, uh, yeah they were among some of the gods that lot like kind of lost their divinity with that but then they were reinstated you know in that quite a whole like we're not really sure what happened with it it would be really great lore for wizards of the coast to give us someday they probably won't to how they got their godhood back yeah like how all these gods because yeah. there was a lot of god like mystery well, wasn't it i mean mystery has me. been reincarnated three times, three times like yeah. how how why is that you know there would be some nice some i nice will say things. i think i think what's pretty cool with with this right you know when you talk about mistral when you talk about some of the other stuff right what's their big thing right it's the weave it's the weave the weave is basically the speed force of the world right yeah it is it's the speed force it's, speed. I mean, it's ironic it's because considering the hat you're you're wearing right it is a deus ex machina right yeah morden doesn't really have that i see there is no deus ex machina the soul forge is exactly what it is and that's why he crafts I'm, souls i'm crafts, really yeah. kind of liking him more than corellian which I'd i didn't say, think so do I. I didn't think would be the case because i've always really loved like 
Elven, the Elven idea. Because you're a nerd. Yeah, that's true. You're a that's power true. gaming nerd. Look, Blade Singers, man. I know you do. Yeah, I know. Oh, the floor's defense. Oh, look at me. I have an AC of 29 now. No. I can get higher. No. I know. I already knew what you were going to say. That's why I said the word no. I got a Bard's AC up to 31, so. Because you're a terrorist. <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i am not okay i have no. problems i have problems but yeah that's pretty much like I, I i'll let everyone else look over the individual guides on the one sheet but those are the big points and i think that my kind of final thoughts on the dwarven pantheon is that while there's less background given on them there's not as much like creation mythos or anything like that kind of given 5e what is given is so anchored that it's very easy. It's actually easier for you to use than the Elven Pantheon in your campaigns because there's less gods. There's actually only 14 gods that are technically not Drugar ones. So way less for you to memorize. Yeah. The creation mythos, everything, what Morden likes, what he doesn't, all make sense when you think about stereotypical dwarf that you don't, your prep is easier. Your lore remembering is like everything is just easier for it. So I actually am going to put this like I'm going to make up a grade system, but grade A for new DM uh, pantheons. When you if you is don't that... want to create your own, this this is probably the A, the gold standard because even the Faerunian pantheon gets very hit and very all over the place. Listen, it's old. It, it's again, it's one of the oldest settings. Faerun, Greyhawk, those they've been around since exactly. like literally. And they the really mid- haven't had a dwarf dominated. The mid nineteen what six settings yeah like Jeez. setting you know because like yeah. Greyhawk and all that stuff like so I, I really think that if you're a new DM and you want something easier to work into your world, Morden Saman definitely the way to go. And if you're even if you're a veteran DM and you don't want it, maybe religion doesn't play as much of a role in your games. What we just described with Morden, he literally only really cares about crafting for the most part. Yeah. And unless something is world ending, he probably is not going to get involved. So you could easily have there be now a presence of the divine without it being like, we worship Corellion, you know, like, ha, ha, ha. Exactly. Well, Brewmaster Austin, I think that's a great place to. I'm just kidding with you. Get that dice ready. We can't end this episode just we yet. Are tied. We are five. tied. Can we correct the ship? Let's see. Three, two, one. Nat 20. Get out of here, really? Nat 20. Oh, I rolled a natural 18, too. Oh, my God. It's finally happened. I think that is the first Nat 20. The first Nat 20. That is the first Nat 20. And with that, I take the lead. This is bullshit. I hate everything about this. He cheated. No. He fudged it. I even rolled it right in front of you. I know. I could see the number. I hate you. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I rolled it right. You're not allowed to use that one. It's, even, dice, your, yeah. it's even your dice. I know. Yeah. It's all my dice. Yeah. Stop cursing my back. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on this episode of Dungeons & Brews. It means a lot to us. And uh, as some of you may have heard, we do have a contest currently going along right now. Uh, if you go check out our Instagram page, uh, we do have a little, uh, little post. If you like, share it, favorite it. Send it out, tag a friend underneath, have them like, share, and favorite it. It would mean a lot. It would help spread the word of what our podcast is all about. You guys, Dungeons and Brews, it's always fun for all of us, but we're very excited with this. Please make sure to go uh, check out that post. It runs for the entire month of November. We will be announcing just before Christmas down there coming up. So about that first week of uh, December is when we announce the winner. So keep tagging us, keep posting it, guys. We are getting, we're growing the community and honest to god brewmaster and i austin we've been loving it here so yep and with that like i said like mo said 
We thank you guys so much. We love all the love and support and hope it continues. Hope we can keep giving you guys what you were looking for. But until till then, till the future, part of the pod, part of the brew.